Hello and welcome to EQ by IQ, Parenting with Emotional Intelligence and Healing the Inner Child. My name is Trina Casey and I'm your host. I'm coming right off of a vacation and a self-care vacation. I really needed to take a break and kind of rejuvenate and so I took the first vacation alone more than two days by myself, seven days by myself in the Mykonos in Greece. And I always wanted to go there, but, uh, you know, I asked my son, <laughs> I said, should I go with you or without you? And he said, oh, you can go without me, mom. Uh, you taught me how to be safe and you deserve it. So, of course, with a little tear in my eye, I, I took his advice because in one of my episodes, I talked about self-care. And for me, taking the time alone to travel alone is a major for self-care for me. One of the things it allowed me to do was also let go. In my last episode of EQ Above IQ, I talked about a subject that is unfortunately I was affected by as a child, child trafficking and molestation and pedophilia. This is something that, of course, is always going to be in the back of my mind and psyche. So when I think about leaving my child alone, that is one of my biggest fears. And as um, most parents will discuss and argue about, dads and moms are very different in our parenting style and the attentions of details. So since his father has not gone through anything traumatic like that, I think he's a little bit more uh, relaxed around strangers. And to me, that's just terrifying. So it was a big, big leap of trust for me to take this trip, but I'm so grateful that I did. Of course, I called all the time. <laughs> no, not all the time. I called once a day just to check in and to let him, let him know that I was still thinking about him because my child is a very sensitive child and he needs that re reinforcement just like all children. And being away from mom for seven days is quite a long time, even though he was encouraging me. But went to Mykonos, floated in the sea. And uh, if you wanna see some pictures of that, go ahead and check out my uh, Instagram at this underscore real underscore life underscore book. And you can see some pictures of that. It, it was really, really what I needed to refuel. And I got a lot of writing done. And I even recorded a podcast. I, I chose to record a podcast during that time because I had had conversation with someone about this subject. And so I really wanted to talk about things when they're top of mind and top of subject. So basically, I am back from holiday, back to Holland, and it is hot. So I was pleasantly surprised by the transition because it was very hot in Mykonos. I was expecting to return back to rainy old Amsterdam, but it's been sunny. And so, yay, I'm happy about that. <laughs> so in this episode, I'm going to be talking about a subject that is become something that I'm aware of, that I do. And it's something that I'm working on as a parent. And also it connects very deeply to emotional intelligence and the, the, the first principle of self-awareness. And that subject is the ladder of inference. 
Now, I had to do some research about this. Simona had mentioned it to me, and I was like, hmm, okay. So I, I, I looked it up, and I do most of the things in this ladder of inference, but I wanted to talk about it on the podcast because I thought that this was a powerful process that happens in everybody's brain that um, was first proposed by Chris, um, um, I think it's Argyris, Ar- 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 Argyris, that's how you pronounced it, way back in 1970. Um, this is not new. The ladder inference is a way of describing how you move from a piece of data, uh, a comment you made or something you have observed to have happened, through a series of mental processes to a conclusion. So, for example, you are out with somebody or you, something happens. So how the ladder of inference works in practice is that your beliefs tend to reinforce the data you select and how you interpret it, which means that it becomes a positive feedback loop. And um, in this sense, positive is not necessarily good. Instead, it means that the feedback drives the process onwards instead of stopping it and therefore confirms what you already believe. Hmm. I think we're living in a time of that. And I, I almost want to say that is cognitive dissonance, but I think the, I feel like the two are connected in many ways because if you are not aware of this process of um, ladder of inference, you're going to automatically have certain belief systems reinforced and, and not be open to hear other ones. So, for example, this is how you move up the ladder of inference. And I'm going to start from the top, the, the bottom rung. So you basically get data. And then the first rung is observations, the reality and facts. Information is observed from the real world. Okay. And then you're going to go up the next rung on the ladder. And that's two. Selecting facts. Facts are selected based on convictions and prior experiences. And then you're going to go up the third rung of the ladder, which is interpreting facts. Facts are interpreted and given a personal meaning. Hmm. The fourth rung on the ladder is going to be assumptions. Assumptions are made based on the meaning you give the observations. And we always know what assumptions makes do. They make it as out of you and me. You get when you assume. Five, conclusions. Is conclusions are drawn based on prior beliefs. Mm-hmm. Six, beliefs. Conclusions are drawn based on interpreted facts and prior assumptions. And the final rung on the ladder, seven, actions are taken based on prior beliefs and conclusions. It becomes a vicious cycle in many ways. And, and, and the thing is, is that it's easy to become involved in this mental loop because the processes in the ladder of inference often occur unconsciously and is less than a second in the human brain. So it's it, it deeply connected to our life experiences, our traumas, um, especially our traumas. So your fight, flight response, right, and freeze responses, and basically everything that you've experienced from your childhood on. And so they happen just like instantaneously. 
it's closely connected to unconscious biases as well. So all these convictions that a, someone forms influences the next time a situation perceived. It's totally biological, it's totally chemical, and the process continues to repeat itself. And it's like, and every time something happened, it reinforces. I recognize this in my past relationships, and it's something that is, of course, going to make you either trust or distrust another person. But I do think it's a good practice by using self-awareness and emotional intelligence. You can become more aware of your own thoughts. So it teaches you to look at the facts, unbiased way and not judge too soon. And it is a way to use your own convictions and experience in a positive manner, not to just automatically jump on an idea or belief. So you become aware of your own thoughts and reasoning, and then you make clear to others how your reasoning process works. And this will ha allow others the, to have a better understanding of someone's motives. So, and also give them an opportunity to explain themselves. And then you research the thought process of other people by asking, actively asking questions about whatever the situation is, about whatever is happening. So for example, you can ask questions to yourself, am I drawing the right conclusion? That basically stops you from immediately assuming somebody is doing something to harm you. And this is something that I have had to work at by like very deeply. And I'm also working on it as a parent with my own child because when my child was very, very small and before I started really explain, exploring this EQ, um, emotional intelligence, one of the things that I would do because it was done to me is I would defend his self-esteem and try to promote it almost in a negative way. So for example, if another kid was bothering him or kind of bullying him, which happened very, very young, I'm trying to preserve his self-esteem. So I would say something like, oh, they're just jealous of you or their parents didn't teach them right or something like that. But the truth is, is that I wasn't as educated on the processes, the biological processes of children's and their emotions at the time. All I wanted to do was what all parents want to do. They want to protect their children. So instead of having an exploratory conversation with him about it, which I do now, which is why do you think that child would do that? Or were you hungry at that situation? Maybe that kid was hungry at the situation. Because you know, sometimes when you get angry, you get hangry, you know, hungry and angry. Just making it more of a conversation of, I wonder, and this is something that I highly recommend parents start using this line of questioning with their children. And I apologize if you hear background noise, I'm unfortunately stuck in a construction zone at the moment, and there's really not a quiet place for me to record. So excuse me if you hear trucks in the background. <laughs> um, can't do anything about it. I just don't have the right box right now. So. Basically, exploratory questions such as, I wonder what that kid was feeling when he said that. It also teaches empathy because at that moment, you take your kid out of the situation and you put him in the shoes of another person. 
which is a practice that we all need to do in order to practice empathy. But the best way to teach your kid to practice empathy is by posing questions around the wonder. I wonder if you were just maybe a little bit tired or I wonder if you got enough sleep that night. I wonder is a very great way to get information from your child anyway. Even if I know I had the habit of saying, how was your day today at school? And that's sometimes an immediate immediate shutdown. I am fortunate that my child most of the time talks about it, but even there was a time when he said, mom, why do you ask me every day? And the reason why I asked him every day is because I had some PTSD from the amount of bullying that he had to deal with when he was a child, much younger. So that was my way to get data in order to make sure that he was okay. You understand? So now um, the line of questioning is, I wonder who you played with today. I wonder, did you draw anything cool? Or, you know, just change the line of questioning. You might get more answers. Okay, so that was a side note. So basically the ladder of inference can be used to stage a thought process. And anyone can train themselves to do this. And I'm in the process of training myself to do this as well. So again, am I drawing the right conclusion is one question you want to ask yourself. Why did I assume this? Let's process where this is coming from. Is my conclusion based on facts or maybe a past feeling or experience or trauma? And why do I think this is the right thing to do? And can I do this in a different way? And that's something that will happen as you go through the five principles of emotional intelligence as well. Because as you become self-aware, you're asking yourself all of these questions. So the ladder of inference application is a perfect first step for self-awareness, okay? And then you're going to go into the self-regulation step to control your emotions, right? So one of the things that you can do with your parent parenting and apply this to your parenting especially when you're getting your buttons pushed or you're having a bad day, you go through this process of elimination and asking questions. And also you encourage dialogue with your child with open-ended questions, not yes or no um, questions. So that's when the wondering question comes into play. So when I use, have been using the ladder of inference with my child, for example, hmm, how do I explain this with the situation? So instead of using my child as an example, I'm going to use this as an example, a little bit easier to understand because there are several situations <laughs> where I've had to use the ladder of inference. And I'm, like I said, this is a new skill set that I am practicing and I've found it to be effective. But as with any other tool that you start to use with your children or with yourself, it takes some time to build a good rhythm with it and to have it reinforced, just like any other habit. So I'm gonna use the example of, for example, you have a friend and you, you, you arrange to meet with that friend at a certain time. Say, so you guys are gonna meet at 10 o'clock for coffee. And your friend is late and doesn't explain why. In fact, she doesn't even seem to have noticed that she was late at all. You know, it's 11 o'clock, half hour later. She just shows up and says, hey, oh, I missed you. Okay. <laughs> so there's the assumption that 
your friend just doesn't care. And it's easy. And a lot of people are doing this right now. And that their value systems are same, are not the same, sorry. I am, for example, a very punctual person. I, and I really, it bothers me when people are late. You decide that this person is not worth meeting with anymore. And obviously, because this, your friend is late, they don't really care to see you. So maybe this has come from your past experience of being neglected or being in abusive relationship or not feeling valued as a child. It's definitely rooted in inner child trauma when you make these assumptions. So when this friend of yours suggests meeting you again, you, you say, uh, no, you make an excuse not to see them because you do not like the feeling that came from that tardiness. And you basically feel triggered. You're going back in time to a time and experience that you had that made you feel insecure. So this is when you want to click on all those questions that are going in your head for self-awareness. And now you want to self-regulate, try to breathe, try not to um, immediately go to anger. And one of the ways that you can not go to anger is to just start asking questions to the person. Don't immediately assume that they didn't care that they were late. Ask them, is everything okay? If they're running late, send them a message. Say, hey, where are you? That's my immediate response. Are you okay? Is everything okay? Did you have some trouble with traffic? Was 1032 early for you? Because I noticed that we could have, uh, you showed up late. We could have met later. So maybe was it inconvenient to meet up this morning. You can always let me know and we can change things around and, or just simply said, man, you're late. It's okay to hold people accountable to their agreements. And this is one of the things, one of the pieces in my own relationship that I kind of always fought for is was, I was always told, oh, it's not a big deal. And unfortunately, that's a form of gaslighting, saying that your feelings about my tardiness is not a big deal. It's a part of your value system to be on time. So if you want the relationship to continue and have a mutual level of respect, you need to A, either explain yourself or B, sincerely apologize because then the pattern of experiences start to happen. And of course, you start to use this ladder of inference with the relationship. And the communication begins to break down. And for example, your friend is aware, she might ask you from your body language, because you're gonna, you're gonna start behaving differently once you start to feel differently about a person. If they have a self-awareness, maybe they'll ask you, um, are you okay? Uh, you seem very quiet. And then a dialogue can happen. But some people will avoid that and just pretend that everything is okay because you didn't say anything. And I just think there's a lot of fear about conflict. And conflict is not necessarily a negative thing. There's been a negative connotation around what conflict is, but 
it's also just a way of hashing out misunderstandings. And it's something that needs to happen because we are not all alike. And even if we do have some commonalities about our beliefs, that doesn't mean that you're going to under 100% gel with somebody else's actions. This is just not realistic. And I think this is part of the reason why our society has broken down. We, we have decided to avoid conflict in all forms. And it's just a part of daily life. But we don't have to, if we learn self-regulation, it doesn't have to get out of hand. You know what I mean? And if we learn, understand what each other's motivations are via the conversation, what happened, was, was it too late, early to, for you, blah, blah, blah. And you learn empathy, understanding, hey, everybody's late sometimes. They've been, ex- they explained it to me. And then, okay, we can go back to having a good time. So you, you, can, you can apply all of this with your child. I totally, I'll say it again, I, my son, for some reason, loves to bring up, kind of talk to me about the video games and the YouTube, like I told you, that I just really cannot stand. <laughs> but because we've had such an open dialogue about everything since he was little, I think it's just his way to share his excitement about learning something new. So I've been doing this exploratory questioning with him and it drives him nuts because he just wants to tell me, tell me about it, but I'm doing it because I'm trying to bring some awareness to why I don't like what he's telling me about. Because as, as a human being, I have a right to not like things and it's not about him personally. So I say to him, what is it that you like about this? What does it make you feel? How's your body feel when you're into watching that? You know, I notice that when, I, when I'm trying to tell you something or talk to you about something or get your attention, it takes you a lot of times for me to get your attention. Are you just kind of lost in it? Why are you lost? What, what makes it so cool that you get lost in it? So it's never, it's never about it being uh, necessarily bad. It's just about bringing awareness of where he is emotionally and physically when he gets drawn in in that theta stage. Sometimes I don't get much out of it, but it also is my way of saying, okay, hey kid, I'm letting you do this because you know what? It's an experience and I want you to have some understanding, but also want to give you the opportunity to be able to regulate yourself. So I'm always giving him the opportunities to, to learn and make mistakes but at the same time, I want him to be able to process some, some questions and, and think about it critically. Critical thinking is very important skill set to develop in your children. And even in your own adulthood, it's something that it's a practice. And if you don't flex that muscle, you tend to go into this ladder of inference about everything. And it's something that I really wanted to share with the audience because it interconnects with so much that is going on in the world right now, politically. Wow. I am not a Trump supporter. I'm not going to pretend to be. I, I find that he is emotionally inept 
he definitely doesn't have any emotional intelligence and he borders on sociopathic behavior and narcissism. And as a person who is dedicated to care about the masses and care about and, and motivated to shift the consciousness of the world through everything that I do, through the storytelling, the books that I write and publish at thisreallifebooks.com to uh, creating a children's clothing line that has t-shirts that remind you that, you know, kids are biologically functioning in an emotional level so that they are going to respect you if you respect them because you're teaching them. I learned respect from your respect. And I'm just so wholeheartedly dedicated to the positive and the grander possibility of, of love and compassion for everyone on this planet, especially those that are in the position of oppression and those who don't understand the word privilege and what that means. Matter of fact, I was having a conversation about the word privilege and what that really meant. And a lot of people immediately assume the word privilege means wealthy and haven't had to uh, work hard for anything. And that's something that, you know what, it's really important to explain to your kids what privilege is. I know that when I was growing up, the often ones, one I heard is that, hey, there are kids starving in Africa. You better eat your food. And that was a way to explain, hey, you're privileged to have food on the table. And there's other people who do not that are struggling. But I think there's even more productive ways and positive ways to explain what privilege really is to your children. For example, you've got all this media stuff, you know, showing bling and all that stuff. And like I said, money, they think money is a privilege. But really, as privilege comes in different forms, privilege comes in the, yes, how much money you have, how much wealth you have. Privilege can come in the form of how physically strong you are compared to somebody else. Like you're born with unable to walk or don't have limbs or you have birth defect or whatever. There are people with legs and arms and all the functioning health issue, you know, functioning good health are privileged. There's also, of course, the black and white, the color privileges. And, the, and there's a spectrum of that even, even so, because I think of, yes, Caucasian white children are privileged because they have opportunities already allotted to them that they necessarily didn't have to work for as far as the education system, as far as um, being able to walk freely down the street without being bothered or assumed to be a criminal or a gang member. And that's especially for young men, young black men who wear hoodies and stuff. You know, I actually, because of my experience, my son was trying to, you know, be this cool kind of like, you know, thing and wearing a hoodie. And I said, please take that off your head. And he didn't understand. And I said, so I had to explain. OK, so here's my fear. I know that in the past, young men, um, Trayvon Martin, for example, minding their own business, living their own life, had to deal with people who had problems with their race and were killed. And 
now, you know, that hoodie is a symbol. And it's, of course, it's also a symbol of fighting back. I can wear a hoodie and not be a criminal. But when a white kid wears that hoodie, he really has a different experience than when a black kid does it. So that's one, that's another form. And then, you know, there's a privilege between people who um, are considered more classically beautiful or attractive versus people who are not, you know. I had someone tell me, oh yeah, you know, it's not just biases against black and white. What about attractive people and unattractive people? Like attractive people can get into clubs and blah, 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 blah. Of course, that is like way in the past for me as, <laughs> as even caring, you know, I don't really care about how attractiveness uh, opens doors, but it is a privilege and it's something that has been perpetuated onto us for a very, very long time that it is important. So, and, and that goes in with weight and, that, and everything. Um, also gender, there's privilege for cis people who, who, who are straight versus people who are from then the LGBTQ community who, who really sometimes struggle to get employment because of their sexual orientation or gender. So gender comes in different forms and it's really important that you have a ch conversation with your child on what privilege really means so that they can understand how to be more empathetic to people who don't have that privilege. And even the wealth income gap. My son is considered privileged even as a child of biracial child of parents of uh, of a parent who is color and another one who is white, he has had to deal with race stuff at a young age, but at the same time, he has a roof over his head. He doesn't have guns being shot at him, bullets flying that he, he's not living in poverty. So he too has a privilege. And so it's good to have these conversations with your children especially children, uh, parents of children of uh, white descent, of Caucasian. You need to have these conversations with your kids because if they can, they're, if they're, they're not too young to learn about what race is, racism, and, and institutional racism especially, as soon as we start having these dialogues with our children, we can also solve a lot of problems and we can build empathy and we can live in compassion for each other as um, one race because really honestly there is one race and we have to start you know really changing that and kind of squashing this mindset around supremacy white supremacy because it has not only harmed uh, people of different nationalities and backgrounds but it's also harmed the Caucasian community, it really has, because it has caused a lot of uh, stress even now, as people are actually waking up and becoming more supportive to the causes that will actually improve the world for everyone. So anyways, that was something that was on my mind too, that I wanted to talk about. And um, so I got there in there. So if you have any questions, and if you would like to continue a dialogue with me, in regards to this, I am a cognitive behavioral therapy coach and a certified family trauma professional. I have a tab on my website, thisreallifebooks.com, 
where you can go and sign up for a conversation. And if it is specifically you have a question around race, please have an uncomfortable conversation with me. <laughs> I uh, actually saw a man, gosh, what's his name? I think his name is uh, Emmanuel Acho, is how you say it. And uh, he's an athlete of American Nigerian descent. He has a YouTube talking about having uncomfortable conversations with a black man. And I felt like, you know what? We need to have uncomfortable conversations with a black woman. Because honestly, in the power structure of the world, women, black women are on the bottom rung of that ladder. And, and we have to endure and deal with a lot more, even more than black men. And as we are their support system. So let's have a conversation. Ask me some questions. Also, uh, if you have questions about parenting and you need some advice on which direction to go, don't feel uncomfortable about asking for help because this is all a learning process for everyone as we try to reorient and shift the energy of this world. We're going to have to shift our ideas around parenting and education in order to make it go forward, propel it forward, because the old ways did not work. Can we all agree with that? The old ways did not work and are not working, and they led us to where we are right now. So let's do better. Let's help heal each other, and let's, let's do it proactively. So I appreciate you listening to the end of the EQ Above IQ, Parenting with Emotional Intelligence and Healing the Inner Child. I hope that this this episode gave you some valuable information and you continue to do your research into the subjects that I discuss. And I'm wishing you a blessed day.